Hello and welcome to the Talking Barefoot podcast. I am Mehul, your host for today, and I'm very excited to announce that we are kickstarting a new mini series of episodes called Mental Health in Football, where we want to discuss about topics which are so little talked about in mainstream football. Uh, the conversation around mental health has obviously created reverberations around the world, and we can also see it finding its way into sports such as football. Like we recently saw uh, the introduction of the Heads Up campaign. uh which was introduced by the premier league which basically aims to get people to talk about mental health and uh, encourage footballers fans and everybody associated with the sport to start a conversation about you know topics like uh, depression anxiety trauma alcoholism racism all of these topics which are so prevalent in football but so little talked about and um, they are not really delved into in this domain and in this mini series we are going to try to cover these wide ranging topics regarding mental health and how footballers personal lives intertwine with their on field performances so uh, this week we're going to talk about transfers and their impact on a footballer's mental health hi bhaskar aranyak and tane uh, thanks for being here Uh, for those of you listening uh, to our podcast for the first time, I'd like to inform you that Bhaskar is our in-house psychology expert. He is a professor at one of India's leading educational institutions and the founder of One Stop Psychology. Um, Bhaskar, I remember you mentioning in the very first episode about how, because of your educational links, we might be able to provide our audience, you know, with a psychological and an academic perspective of football, and. Uh, there's an interesting thing i read the other day uh, so michael bennett who is the welfare director of the professional footballers association the pfa he uh, dropped in on a couple of uh, you know english clubs recently or i think uh, a few months back and he asked this one question and he saw a similar answer at every club he went so he asked them how many of you look after the physical aspect of your game and obviously every hand in that room went up and then he asked how many of you look after yourselves emotionally and everybody started to look at each other you know in that room and they were just a little taken aback by that question because they didn't really think about uh, that themselves so bhaskar i just want you to shed light on how we've neglected this conversation about mental health when talking about you know the f- uh, footballing domain yeah hi mehul uh, i think this is a very important part that we are uh, talking about Uh, not because i am a mental health professional but i think uh, it's a long ignored topic not only in football but most sporting events as well as in our daily lives also if you ask people how how much are you working they'll say you know i'm working hard if you ask them uh, are you work are you, are you going to work every day they'll say yeah uh, are you taking care of your work life they'll say yeah but if you ask them are you taking care of your emotional or your mental state then not really a lot of people are doing anything about it so it's not very different from how uh, Uh, ordinary people like us are uh, living our lives uh, the only differentiating factor probably is the fact that uh, footballers are watched by so many people that every move is uh, cross checked cross verified dissected uh, so their lives are available for the public to you know scrutinize uh, so that adds a little bit of stress and pressure by itself then there are performances on field after which there is also the fact of managing all the finance that they have built uh then there are family lives to consider then there is movement between countries uh learning new languages learning new playing styles injuries so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in a footballer's life and what we forget and i think it's a very sad thing that we forget it 
is that some of the players are just 18 19 even someone who's 33 is considered old as a footballer but as a human being 33 is you're right at your middle age right that you're actually younger than what your mean of uh, your entire life will be because average age is around 80 right people live till 80 now so at 35 you retire that's one third of your life that's just gone and you've played professionally for barely 15 years if you are you know if you've been uh, physically fit Uh, so there's a lot that goes on in a footballer's life, uh, but we don't really consider uh, it too much, and I think that's a problem. Uh, the other problem that I've also heard about is that managers don't like psychologists getting involved uh, because they like they like knowing their players inside out. They like knowing what's happening with their player, and they want absolute control on the uh, mind of their player so that you know they can get the maximum performance from them. Uh, so the sports psychologist has ethical boundaries where they cannot breach confidentiality. Uh, even if it's related to performance so there is this gap that exists between managers and sports psychologists and psychiatrists uh, which creates a huge burden right it creates a huge barrier for a lot of people uh, so lack of encouragement from the main source of power in a club is who is the manager creates a problem for the uh, footballer to find help also i remember watching uh, the steven gerrard documentary called makers dream uh, on amazon prime and he talks about going to a psychiatrist Uh, later in his career, when he had a major injury, uh, and he said that you know how difficult that was for him to even uh, understand what was going on and th- to find the need to go to someone like that, someone that professional. But only after going to meet the psychiatrist did he realize the value of what it was like. Uh, so there are multiple factors at play, uh, but I think clubs are getting better. Like you said, even the PFA is getting involved. Uh, a few years ago, we also had the case of uh, concussion that was. uh taken into consideration and now they really take you know if you are concussed you are not allowed to play anymore uh so that's a huge step that they've taken forward considering whatever was happening in the NFL and then you know uh what was happening in football also not so bad but uh it's still something that is being considered so these are we are making progress i think uh but there's still a long way to go because uh football is looked at as like you know a man's game a physical sport uh but that idea of toughness associated with manliness is by itself a problem and i think uh, we need to find ways to break that and uh, sort of treat these people as human beings and they're not machines who are there for our entertainment you know they have their own lives to consider yeah i think the entire mental health uh, narrative has been overshadowed by you know the blitz and glamour of this sport and players are too preoccupied with their uh, you know playing styles and how they're going to perform on the pitch that they don't think about em- uh, themselves emotionally or the mental health aspect of it okay uh, so let me just straight uh, dri- dive into our topic for the day uh, we want to talk about transfers obviously transfers are one of the most exciting parts of football and our talking transfer segment you know represents just that uh, we are so excited when we talk about you know player getting exchanges and all of that and fans are always wanting their clubs to sign the biggest names for their teams to go on and win silverware conquer leagues competitions championships and after 6 months if the player does not reach up to that standards you know we are we also see backlash scrutiny criticism and so much you know hate to that player and a prime example could be coutinho to barcelona i mean you know the, for the price tag he went and he just could not adjust to the uh, you know camp nou culture and then he he was just absolutely you know tossed away to bayern munich so i want you to talk about how mental health gets affected if a player moves from one country to another sometimes even continents and how difficult does that get for a player um i think 
it's probably one of the most difficult decisions that the player has to make in terms of moving. Uh, usually, if you're tra- getting transferred, it involves an increase in salary. If uh, you're a young player and you have a decent enough paying record, uh, but the money doesn't compensate for the fact that you have to, you know, take your entire family, uproot them from a place that you were working in, take them to another place, and hope that you know they can make friends and extended family there and you know settle there. Uh, a lot of these players have kids really young, so they also go to school etc and then you have to take them away from the school where their friends are there and then move them to another place so it becomes very very difficult if you're a player if you think about it most of these people also move very young uh, they move clubs very young uh, i think coutinho's case in barcelona uh, is still fine because uh, he knew he knew spanish uh, and he could go and you know at least uh, get along with players and he had suarez with him over there uh, who would have sort of aided his move uh, but if you think about someone like Nabi Keita or Sadio Mane or uh, any of the African players coming in straight from Africa into the European countries, it must be massively difficult for them. First of all, they don't even know the language. Uh, they probably don't have family members there. Uh, they've probably come because of their merit and nothing else, uh, which also means that they probably didn't come from a lot of money. Uh, and seeing all this new money and uh, all the lifestyle that's around them, it can sort of, you know, Uh, be a huge culture shock for you if you're found in that sort of situation one of the things that i like to tell people about is just to see how they are like when we move cities for our colleges or for work uh, we always want to move to cities where we have friends we always want to move to cities where we have other extended people so that you know it sort of that compensates for the moving that's taking place and it eases the move uh, and acculturation etc takes place but these processes are not there for footballers they move every two years every three years on average uh, and their clubs can throw them out at any point, which means uh, it's all based on contract. It's not even that, you know, they can choose to stay in that country if they uh, no longer want to be there uh, or if they want to be there rather. Plus, there are scenes of visa. Uh, you get a working visa. You don't get a permanent residentship anywhere, which means that if you're not hired by a club, again, there's a problem. Uh, so when you move to a country, there are lots of stressors here. You have to learn the language. You have to learn how the economy works. You have to learn... Uh, how the club works you have to adjust to the culture of the club you have to adjust to your new teammates forget about your old teammates your family has to adjust one classic case is of Di Maria moving to United uh, you know his wife was complaining about moving to uh, England she hated the weather and then when they moved to England he was thinking well initially if you think about it but then his house was robbed uh, and who is going to be able to you know pull through something like that you need a huge amount of resilience just imagine our houses being robbed at some point uh, you know, it's a trauma to really carry on. And then people like Di Maria are supposed to be superhuman who come back next week and play on the weekend and perform well. Uh, and it should not take, it should not have an effect on their gameplay. Of course, that's not fair. Uh, but we are not ready to accept that because we are paying money and these players are supposed to be playing for us. But that's just unfair. Um, and even now, the media really tries to portray Di Maria's wife as a problem that she couldn't adjust. Therefore, he didn't play well in Manchester United. But nobody talks about the fact that he did, he couldn't adjust because there was somebody, you know, <laughs> there was theft in his house. And there's so many people like that. Lampard, who's a person from England, his house was robbed almost thrice. Uh, Gerard, when he was moving to Chelsea, almost moving to Chelsea, fans, you know, came outside his house and they, they broke his windows and, you know, they threw uh, bottles into his house. So these are huge pressures to deal with. And uh, we sort of don't want to empathize for some reason. We don't want to think of them as human beings. We just want them to be commodities for our entertainment, which is just unfair, I think. 
Yeah, I think uh, another thing is the very situation that we're in. The fact that football is actually resumed uh, is, you know, ethically it could be a problem if you look at it because ideally the situation would be to not have football at all because there are still plenty of cases around the world of because of the pandemic. But like you said, it's all the blitz and glamour and the economy and these guys are just seen as, uh, you know, medium for for basically for money and for entertainment at the end of the day. But coming back to transfers, I'd like to ask something that is uh, s- situation specific now. How ac- the transfer actually happening, but even just the mere news of it and the rumors that go around. Uh, Bhaskar, I'd like to ask you that we've had, you know, we had a three-month lockdown prior to the restart. And how just the mere speculation and being a footballer, being alone at home, how could that affa- affect the mental state of a, of a player? Oh, massively. If you're, if you're alone during a lockdown, uh, isolation is one really difficult thing for anyone to go through. Uh, now, isolation doesn't always mean loneliness, right? Uh, but it can convert to that quite quickly because uh, we human beings are social animals. We like having people around us. We like affection uh, and we like, you know, uh, love and we like friendship and we like relationships. Um, so if you're in a situation where uh, you're all alone in a lockdown uh, and you don't have your mates around you and nor can you meet them. Uh, it creates a lot of uh, need uh, which cannot be fulfilled. And when needs are not fulfilled, it, they create sort of stresses in the body. Uh, and then there's no way to deal with that also. Uh, the other thing with uh, being in a lockdown is also not being able to go to work. Uh, where do you find the motivation to work? Because most of these footballers, if you hear them, they'll say we play for the fans. But now that you're not in contact with your fans, and you're not in contact with any of your fellow players who sort of motivate you and your manager, where do you find the motivation? Because you're still getting paid and you can just sit at home. And when you come back, you can see that I was at lockdown and I was under trauma, right? Uh, not that that is an excuse used by anybody, but where do you find the motivation to continue? Um, apart from that, there are also other things, right? Uh, there is, you're seeing that your club doesn't have money anymore. You might be one of those players who's not selected in the first eleven. Then you start thinking about your future. Then there is your agent who's probably talking to other people about you. Um, And these are obviously stressors that are there, right? Uh, With the furlough scheme, we also saw a huge backlash a couple of clubs got uh, because of wage cuts, etc. that were being considered. Um, So just because they're getting paid well, we sort of assume that uh, they have a lot of money. But when you get more money, you probably spend it more. And you spend it on bigger and more luxurious things, which are more expensive. Which means that someone who earns 100,000 a week can have as much debt as someone who earns less than that. Uh, but just the scales are different. Uh, so you'll keep hearing about a lot of footballers going broke, right? Later on in life. Uh, and that's, again, because of financial mismanagement. So there are lots of things that happen to players at that level. Uh, they're, they're trying to be kept in a bubble also, right? Uh, but that doesn't always protect somebody that always you know that can also create a huge amount of uh, stress uh, the other thing that i just want to talk about is we'll not often hear about players being diagnosed with mental health disorders very rarely will you hear uh, a sportsman or a football player being diagnosed with something like depression anxiety it's a very rare thing uh, it's not that it doesn't happen it does happen i think one of the things that offsets it uh, is the fact that you're physically active so uh, exercise we know is a positive uh, factor right uh, and it sort of bridges it protects the person from uh, getting a lot of these disorders so even therapists will suggest that you go and exercise 
so that it offsets a lot of the anxiety depression etc that you might be facing um, so for a footballer who's training every day they're physically so active that uh, there is no space for the disorder sort of thing you can think of it like that uh, but eventually once they come out of retirement uh, you'll see alcoholism to exist to a great degree you'll you'll see depression to a great degree anxiety to a great degree sleeplessness great degree right uh, lack of any sort of motivation would be there for a great degree right uh, especially if the footballer decides to get out of football uh, if they you know decide to not have anything to do with football that again creates a huge amount of problem for them uh, so that's again a not highlighted part of being a footballer uh, i don't know do you all have any examples i i know a few of them tanay uh, do you have any examples that you can tell us on not exactly related to what you brought up now but um, the one thing which i think of when it comes to transfers and uh, you know sort of mental health is um, the one which loris carius went through when after an extremely high profile error um, he was kind of shipped off to besiktas the in this kind of situation is it actually um, better to you know Uh, be away from the limelight where there's less scrutiny on your performances on your life or does it actually personally affect you uh, more in the sense that you see that your stock has fallen even further now and you're just at some club where you're not going to be as relevant as you were it's very interesting uh, that's a very very important question i think because with carries's case Uh, I think there was also the bit about concussion, right? Where Sergio Ramos, you know, rammed his elbow into his head, and then the two errors came after that. Uh, so that's one part that's there where Liverpool tried to explain the situation through that angle. Uh, but then realizing that you know they had to con- continue to perform well, they couldn't risk having uh, carries between the sticks because the crowd would amp up each time carries caught the ball, uh, and that obviously creates nerves for anybody. Uh, so you were shipped off to Besiktas, right? You said. Uh, and they got Allison in, um, and that can work in two ways. One way that uh, if the player decides that their ambition doesn't meet uh, the quality of the club, then that can be stressful. But if they also feel that they don't want to be in the limelight, then it can be a boon for them, right? So it really depends on the individual player how they think of it. But uh, largely, if you've reached the level of carriers where you're playing at one of the top clubs in the world, then you're a highly competitive person probably, and. uh you want your career to have you know a great end or a great uh progress uh so for him probably moving to besiktas wasn't really a great move he probably uh had a lot of issues himself to deal with the other thing that we also don't discuss is how uh, this trolling on social media that takes place so people on carriers's photos will constantly come comment on a lot of things uh so it's a very difficult thing just i don't know we we take this need of anonymity this uh, you know uh, have being anonymous on a social media website to say all sorts of things but it's very very difficult just imagine yourself in carries's position you were it wasn't his fault right he had a concussion there's a there's a medical explanation for what happened to him uh, and then after that he's just become like a joke and liverpool fans don't want him besiktas don't want him uh, his career has gone for a toss which was quite promising because if you think of carries before that champions league final he was quite reliable uh, but after that immediately there was a problem uh, and for the rest of his life this thing will stay with him this mistake that he made in one final will stay with him uh, even after retirement no one is going to forget about that which means his entire life someone is going to constantly poke that that one uh, you know 
one nerve of his which is quite painful uh, but for some other players sometimes going out of the limelight is quite helpful as well uh, so it really depends on how the player thinks of it um, but but it's an unforgiving place that's the truth of it uh, once you're in front of so many people uh, the pressure is there stress is there and then if you make a mistake it just stays with you for your entire life people will make memes they'll make gifs uh, they'll make an entire video i think stuart downing in one of the seasons with liverpool uh, he didn't give an assist or a goal and then they put up a 15 minute video on youtube saying uh, left foot jesus uh, which was just a blank black screen with nothing on it right now if you're stuart downing and you've seen that that's so sad to see right it wasn't like he wasn't trying it just didn't happen for him uh, then there is gerard slip right uh, which is which has become the stuff of folklore now Uh, anything happens they'll put his slip in um, which is again a painful thing for gerard it's also painful for the fans to be really honest with you uh, to see that moment um, then there are think about people like pep guardiola like he can be he has to be infallible because he's been at the top of his game for such a long time right now that he's not won the premier league people are like his uh, fraudiola right which is such a weird thing to see imagine if what you're going through if you're pep like you are on the top of a game you've won innumerable trophies you've probably created the greatest club team the world has ever seen and yet just because you can't win one trophy although you won 8 out of 10 it's just it's baffling if you really think about it yeah i think with guardiola another thing which people forget is that he lost his mother uh, due to the coronavirus a, a month or two back and that's a huge factor which people seem to you know easily forget after that one week of mourning so um I, about transfers and about the entire noise on social media one thing which i've seen is that the talk about mental health is often shut down by uh, you know these people by saying that these footballers are you know earning 150000 pounds per week and they are earning so much money and they need to perform their their machines and they can't have emotional physical uh, personal lives and that kind of a uh, you know statement really puts off i think you know the entire conversation about mental health and because people are not ready to talk about it because they think that the players are just you know entities who are earning so much and they need to perform you know equally and in in tandem with what they're earning so bhaskar i just want to ask you what toll can a price tag or that amount of salary you know can take on a player okay i think uh, one of the important things uh while discussing this price tag issue is also about something called resilience uh, resilience is your ability to you know uh, sort of fight against a stressor and not let it affect you um now for say someone like uh, who's who's played well with a high price tag someone like uh, ball ronaldo or zidane or uh, ronaldo uh, or even your uh, virgil van dijk or maguire or neymar uh, these people have been able to match up to the price tag in a way Uh, and the reason they do it is not because they think i need to match up with my price tag uh, the shift in thinking is that my price was paid by somebody else for my services but i am not responsible for that price you know i am not responsible for that price i am not responsible for the amount of money they have spent on me uh, and then that allows you a sort of freedom to express yourself and play as a footballer but if you take the price tag into your head and then you say that no i need to pay the club back because they paid me so much they paid so much for me then that sort of puts you in a position where it creates a lot of stress and pressure for you so you take the example of torres torres was my first profile uh first high profile transfer case who failed so badly that i saw you know where for 50 million he went there and then he was not even the shadow of what the old torres was 
Um, and I think the price tag got to him. Plus, I think with him, there was also physical injuries uh, that we can't forget about. But uh, take the example of recent you know, example of Dembele, right? Or Coutinho, uh, where they went to Barcelona. They had such great players beside them. Uh, but still, they just couldn't do it. Uh, so, the price tag does play a role. But it's, it depends on how the club may, tries to make you think about it. Uh, if they sort of tell you that, you know, you need to perform because you were paid for uh, that much, then that obviously is a pressure. And with all the other pressure that is going on, uh, I think it, what the least any club or manager can do is, you know, try and withdraw that pressure from the player. So, I remember where uh, when Virgil van Dijk moved to Liverpool, Klopp immediately said that his price tag was what the market dictated. Uh, it's not on him to repay that. That is what we paid for him. Now, he has to perform as well as he can. Uh, so, that sort of, you know... Uh, Puts, takes the pressure off. It's like if you were going for an exam right, and your parents said that, you know, uh, I have bet this much with my friend that you will do better than his child. Right? I have bet one lakh on my friend with my friend that you do better than his child. The amount of pressure that puts on you, obviously you are not going to be able to perform to the same level. Right? Stress usually works like this. I think the best way to put it is this. Stress, a certain amount of stress sort of improves performance. An optimum amount of stress is good for performance. Right, but everyone's optimum is different, so you need to find what the sweet spot for yourself is. That a certain amount of stress makes you do things, but when stress is too much, right, it starts to hamper performance. It works in what is known as an inverted U graph, where an increasing amount of stress increases performance till the tip of the curve, but after that, if stress increases, then it starts starts to fall down. Right, so all the extra noise that is there is already a certain amount of stress that is there. Now, if you add the price tag into it, the wage into it. And you tell the player that you need to perform because this is what they paid for you. You are adding more burden. That's why you'll always hear, you'll hear this in cricketers also. You'll hear Dhoni and all saying that, you know, I'd, I'd like to take the pressure off my uh, players. The reason they do it is because it interferes with performance. Uh, but that's all we care about, right? That's the problem. We all care about only the performance. Uh, but the player has a home to go back to. He has a family to deal with or she has a family to deal with. Uh, so there's lots of complicated things that are there. I think one last thing I want to tell you all about is uh, with regard to kids. Uh, in Europe, the tendency is that the child goes to play initially. If the child is good at playing, then the child goes into training. right? The child is no longer playing then. Then the child is training to become a footballer, which is very different from playing for fun. Uh, in India, we still don't have that sort of culture where training takes place because we don't have as many uh, centers, nor is it as easy, is it as easily ac- accessible. Uh, so we don't have that. So we've all probably grown up playing football for fun. Uh, but I see in Bangalore also, and I see in the in the European countries and in the West, where football is now about training, which means that the child needs to uh, keep performing well. Parents are after them. You know, they're shouting at them. Coaches are shouting at them. Uh, and these are kids who are six, seven, eight years old. Uh, where their lives are supposed to be about fun, it's become about training to become a professional, right? Uh, and then you continue this trend and you keep trying to get better till the age of 16 where you then sign a professional contract. And at 16, you're a pro, which means now you train with the big boys. And the big boys are people who are 30 and you're 16. Right? They're literally more than half your age, which means physically they're so much bigger than you. Uh, and mentally, obviously, they're much probably stronger. Uh, in the middle, what also happens is if... What if you don't get signed, right, at 16 and you've trained all your entire life for this? Then you have to find new clubs. So there's so many stories, right, of players moving between different clubs until they find the right club who, you know, takes them to the top level. 
So take take Ronaldinho. He had to move from Brazil to PSG to Barcelona, right? Take Suarez. He had to move from uh, Uruguay to Netherlands. That's a culture shift, right? Uh, so there are lots of these kind of players who move really young, and then they're expected to perform really well. And then when they don't perform really well, they have to be in an alien country, trying to find a new club that will hire them based on solely their performance. Uh, so there are multiple levels at which this is working. One is your childhood gets robbed from you. I think then you start to you know create that mentality that oh no I need to only be a football player and nothing else. If that doesn't work out, that becomes quite a huge problem. If it works out, that creates other sorts of problems, right? Uh, another example is Ravel Ravel Morrison from United. Uh, he was touted to be the best midfielder Alex Ferguson ever saw, and he was in the same team as Paul Pogba, who is now revered as this great midfielder, right? If Ravel Morrison at the age of 16, 17 was that great, uh, it's probably all the other factors in his life that sort of took him away from football and he didn't achieve what he could have achieved. Uh, the other cases of Adriano, what a lethal striker he was for Inter Milan and Brazil. Uh, but as soon as his father died, his entire career went to waste and now he's filed for bankruptcy. Uh, he's in the favela in Barcelona and there are rumors that he's, you know, started forming gangs, etc. Uh, so... There are lots of things that take place in a footballer's life that we just ignore and we just like you know try to pin the blame on them, uh, but it's not really their fault. The situation isn't really uh, conducive to their uh, resilience, growth, or any protective factors available. Uh, you'll often notice a lot of footballers get married early. Why do you think that is, right? Because they find somebody who's ready to take care of their life with them, whom they can trust completely uh, in an alien country. You know, so there are multiple things that take place, and I think. It's nice that we've had this conversation because a lot of these things are there in my head, but I've also never probably expressed it to anybody. And I hope people who are listening sort of get a different perspective about the footballers that they see. Uh, when they see an injury take place, I hope they don't go like, "Oh, that was such a sad injury," and rather they go like, "You know, this injury is going to affect this player to a great degree." Uh, we can have an entirely different session on injuries and its impact. Um, I think that's about it about transfers. Yeah, that was some excellent insight, Bhaskar, as to how. uh you know transfers can affect mental health and we've we've always talked about transfers from a very financial point of view or a performance based point of view where we just look at transfers as players who come into clubs and they just want to you know we just want them to perform but we often so often neglect this entire mental health conversation and what actually goes on in the minds of these players who are actually getting transferred so um i think it was very enlightening and a very healthy discussion which we had today and one thing which i've learned from what you said is that we as fans need to make this change we have to create a line between social media banter and this toxicity online and we need to give players that kind of space that kind of uh, you know pri- privacy so that they can actually transition into clubs and then perform for the better So um we're going to bring you a lot of these topics which you can take back and think about them. I think they're very important topics which need to be discussed and they are not discussed in mainstream football. So uh we're the Talking Barefoot podcast and you can find us on Instagram uh with the handle name @talkingbarefoot and we're going to be back next week with lot more segments and lot more episodes. So uh stay tuned and see you later.